Canada's local gardener presents Shauna and Dorothy Doby, the editor and publisher of Canada's local gardener magazine, I Here For You. Hello, I'm Shauna Doby. And I'm Dorothy. And our guest today is Greg Outen. Hello. Uh, now, Greg, you are the, I guess, the primary person at Maritime Gardening. I'm the only person. I'm the host of the. <laughs> I was trying primary. to say that gently. <laughs> I'm the, the host of the Maritime Gardening podcast and YouTube channel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is how I found you. Uh, Greg is on our editorial board at Canada's Local Gardener as well. And you're here to talk to us today about uh, extending the gardening season. Yes. So to speak. Okay. So let me ask you first of all, where you're in Nova Scotia, where exactly are you? You want my longitude and latitude? No. <laughs> are you near Halifax or? No. So uh, I'm near, uh, if, if people think of uh, the famous landmark in Nova Scotia called Peggy's Cove, which is mm. this big, big rocks and water and stuff like that. I'm about a 10 minute drive from Peggy's Cove. So you're on the um, South Shore. Yeah, uh, but I'm very close. I'm between Peggy's Cove and Halifax. That's that's okay. a good way of putting it. I'm not, I'm not right on the coast, but I'm like two kilometers from the coast. So I'm very, you, know, you can smell the ocean some days here. Wow. The All of the uh, climatic effects of the ocean, the fog and the unseasonable cold and the unseasonable heat, you know, it's abnormally warm in the winter, uh, but not sunny and uh, abnormally cool in the summer, but not sunny. Okay, so I have a burning question for you, which came from speaking to a fellow in Churchill, Manitoba, who gardens. And believe it or not, he's been growing potatoes and things as well as having a greenhouse. He grows things outdoors. But the people who gardened there before him said that they really benefited from the the, the minerals in the sea air, those warm sea breezes that would come off the bay. Is that true? I, I don't know. Like, you smell things in the air. And, you know, like, so they're there. There are chemical compounds in the air that react with your olfactory nerves. Um, I don't know how much of that's, I mean, really, you think about the, evapor- the, the you got the ocean and there's evaporation. Mm-hmm. Most of that's water, right? I mean, you're, you're, if you're on a distillery, you're not getting like everything out. You're basically just getting the water out. The water's the thing that's going to um, evaporate. So you smell the ocean, you smell different things, but I don't, I don't know how many minerals end up <laughs> Uh, certainly where I live, I'm I'm far enough from like there's no salt coming out, yeah, you know, coming yeah. raining down on the soil here. If you are right next to the shore, I imagine there would be uh, some salt. But r- really, what what we get here is is fog. Like you know, <laughs> because in the summer it, the sun doesn't come out till like noon in the summer. Well, um, you you've met Ian, who is yes. the president of our company, and he comes from Jersey, and he says they plant all their potatoes right near the seashore because of that he also says that they get some benefit off the off the ocean so i was really curious about that well they probably also use seaweed um, yes you know which uh, i use uh, i mm-hmm. can you know there's lots of places they can go here you um it's i've even got videos on seaweed because there's so many questions about it because people think you're just like putting salt on your yeah uh on your garden which you're re- really not there's the salt the seaweed doesn't have salt in it. It has some salt water on it. Yeah. Um, and usually you're not ripping it off the rocks. You're, you're taking the dead seaweed that's been cast up high on the shore by storms and stuff like that. So uh, I tend to pick a day when it's been raining and, and so this, it's been raining on a bit and that sort of thing. So um, it'll have a smell that you associate with the ocean. So you psychologically, you think it's salty. But really, a biologist friend of mine told me that's basically like iron and other compounds, yeah. other chem- chemical compounds that that you associate with the sea, the seaweed smell, um, but really there's not a lot of salt in it at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I use that. And actually with potatoes, there's something, there's even, there was an episode of, you know, the CBC show Land and Sea. Yeah. They actually, if you look, I think you can find it on YouTube. There's an episode about some guy and. Newfoundland or Nova Scotia or someplace out east here who planted his potatoes with seaweed. Like he would you know, dig a hole, put the potato in, throw some seaweed on it, put the soil back. I do the same thing and it works really, really well. So I think there's something uh, special about seaweed that's particularly good for potatoes. But I, I don't know how much, you know, goodness is coming out of the sky. Um, <laughs> acid, maybe acid rain is coming out of the sky. <laughs> 
if, if you're near the shore, you get a lot of rain. And if you're getting rain, it's acid rain mm -hmm. and potatoes like acidic soil. So that might be something to do with it. Okay. Yeah. I learned a lot about you um, from the little bit of, <laughs> of, of contact we have. When you speak of potatoes, that was uh, one of the most thrilling things I've heard all year, honestly, was, <laughs> did you know, mom, to start a new garden, um, you can just sort of mow over what's there. Yeah. Don't care what it is. Don't care if it's weeds or grass or whatever. Throw down some potatoes, cover it with inches and inches and inches of mulch, whatever kind of mulch you have. And that's in the spring. And then in the fall, you dig up your potatoes and you've got a garden underneath. Is that what you do, Greg? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm claiming a new space, I mean, if I've got a, mm -hmm. uh, a, sp a garden already claimed, uh, I, I might stick them a couple inches in the ground because it's just, you just get better results. Uh, I might, might bury them wrist deep. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if I, and I'm, I'm don't have to do this so much anymore because I have a 2,500 square foot vegetable garden. I'm kind of at my limit for what, and I'm getting everything I need. I, you know, I'm getting all the, I'm growing my garden for food and I've got about as much food as I want to get out of my, my property. Um, but yeah, if I have a new piece of property, which is just weeds or grass or whatever, and I want to turn that into a garden, uh, I claim, I colonize that soil uh, usually by, so let's say you just have some grass. A lot of people just have a lawn. Uh, mow it down, put the potatoes right there. And then you put about anywhere from eight to 12 inches of some sort of mulch. Uh, hay is a good one, but you, I've used leaves. I've used seaweed. I've used lots of different things. You want to put enough mulch on top of the potatoes that it's still going to be there. You know, it has mm -hmm. to be, it can't all have broken down 90 days in because your potatoes take anywhere from 70 to 90 days, depending on the variety or more, depending on conditions and all so on and so forth. So the potatoes have to stay covered. Um, but what happens is that the potatoes will root in the soil that the mulch, the, remember the potatoes aren't going to do anything yeah. for about two weeks. They're not going to, they're not going to do very much. Then they're, they're going to slowly send roots in the ground for a couple weeks. And then they're going to start sending eyes up and it'll find their way through that mulch. No problem. One advantage of this for early planting is that you've got some time. It's going to take the potato, let's say three weeks to emerge, maybe even more because mm -hmm. you're going to putting like eight to 12 inches of mulch on. So if you get a couple of frosts in the interim, it's no big deal. Your, your soil is, the soil's warm enough. It's, you know, above zero, let's mm -hmm. say five C give or take. And even if the ambient air overnight gets down to zero, because you've got that thick, thick, nice, nice sort of like wool blanket on top, they're going to be all right. So if you time it right, I mean, a rule of thumb is you plant your potatoes when you see um, dandelion flowers, the first dandelion flower on your lawn, when you see that, you're totally safe with potatoes, even though you still might get a frost uh, under that mulch should be all right. But what happens is that that mulch smothers and kills out the grass. If, if you rake up your grass on your lawn, mm -hmm. all the grass dies underneath a pile of raked up grass, right? If you mow yeah, your lawn. Yeah. Um, so all the grass dies that's underneath the potatoes. They're going to root into the soil there. All that grass becomes fertilizer. It gets broken down by soil organisms that live there, right? Yeah. And so they feed your potatoes. All of the roots, you know, you, you think of your grass sod is like four inches of pretty good roots. All of that becomes like beautiful, dark, organic soil um, over the course of that particular growing season. I've got videos showing before and mm. after the results of that sort of thing, right? So in the, uh, you know, August-ish, you know, when you're digging these things up, uh, the potatoes are grown. And all of that sod is this dark, rich soil, and it's ready for next year to plant whatever you want to plant there, mm -hmm, carrots, mm -hmm. tomatoes, whatever. So it's a so, great way to make a new garden, especially like later in the season where you're sort of, you've planted everything and you're running out of energy and you don't know what you, you know, maybe you want to do a little bit more, but you don't want to work too hard. You can very easy. I got a video where I made, I say how to make a potato garden four by eight in six minutes. So in six minutes, and I got this sort of silly sort of music going, but in six minutes, I make a four by eight potato garden using that. Okay. Product. So how do you heal the potatoes or do you have to? You don't heal the potatoes. So you get a big crop? Yeah, you get, you know, anywhere from six to 10 potatoes per, per seed. I even have a video called, you don't need to hill potatoes. Mm, so, <laughs> so here's what's happening. You know, you got the potato and then you've got the, the eyes coming out of the potato and you've got the new potatoes growing out of the base of those eyes. 
Now, because you've got the mulch, the reason you have to hill potatoes is because to create if you roots. don't, yeah, if you don't have a well, if you don't have, um, what am I trying to say? If you don't have your soil covered, so most people tr conventionally, you just have bare soil, right? Yeah. Now, all my gardens, I mean, people should know, your viewers should know, all of my gardens are mulched all year, all the time. The soil is never bare. But if you do things conventionally, you, you know, you just have bare soil, right? There's, people sort of love the look of beautiful bare brown soil. Um, so you hill them up and you're hilling them up because as the potatoes start producing, yeah. um, they'll start popping out of the soil and you can't have them exposed to the, to the sunlight. So you have to hill them up. And also, you know, it produces more water and yeah. keeps the roots happy and that sort of thing. But when you have a mulch on top of the potatoes, um, as those new potatoes start appearing, the mulch just goes up because it's it's sort of ah. interlaced together. It just it just rises, uh, you know, above the potatoes. Uh, potatoes are rooted in the ground. They're getting all the water they need because you've got a mulch. There isn't the usual kind of evaporation that would normally happen, right? Because water runs along soil particles and you know it, sort of, it evaporates from the soil to the air and it gets drawn along the the soil particles in that way. What you would call a soil solution. So by putting the mulch on top, you're sort of like, like putting a lid on a container. Right? Ah. Um, I mean, it still breathes. So the plant is getting the, you know, the plant roots need air just as much as, as you or I need air, but it still breathes, but you're preventing the kind of evaporation that would happen with bare soil. And because the, all of that mulch can sort of just rise up as the potatoes start forming, the potatoes don't get exposed to the sunlight and turn green and become, you know, toxic and that sort of thing. So yeah, you don't need to hell them. That's so brilliant. You know, I've got some guys out here. I can't wait till they, I'm going to send this to them saying, now listen to this and tell me what you think. <laughs> because I don't know, would it be different here where we've got such a lot of clay in the soil? I don't know. I got to find this out. This is really cool. I've heard this would, before, for sure. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I got the idea from, uh, I think it was Jeff Lawton, uh, sort of an Australian permaculture guru. And these guys are using this approach in Australia, New Zealand places like that, especially Australia, where they have a shortage of water and they developed all these techniques for growing things, potato-like things. I mean, they're growing sweet potatoes the things that can handle the heat they have there. You know, we've got uh, potatoes that are, you know, more, more adapted to our cold climate here, but the same, the same approach works. Wow. So, yeah. That's amazing. Okay. We haven't even begun to talk about <laughs> extending the season yet. Well, sure. Sure we have. <laughs> well, we, we did just a tiny bit. Planting yeah. potatoes early, yes. Yeah, that's so, right. <laughs> you have, now you have hoop houses and all that crazy stuff. And you garden in the winter? Well, technically, yes. So it's not sunny here. So it, it's, I, uh, you probably couldn't have a word, even though it's not as cold as you're in Saskatchewan, right? Manitoba. I'm in Toronto. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, geez, I could have, couldn't have got it more wrong. But okay, you're in Manitoba and Toronto. Um, so in both of where you are, it's colder in the winter than where I am. Yeah. Um, but where both of you live, it's sunnier in the winter where I am. Because mm -hmm. um, it's because of my proximity to the, the coastline and the fog and all the weather coming off of there, right? It's, 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 it's rare we get a, a sunny day from dawn to dusk. And there's a lot of days where it's just fogged over for half the day. So you're just not getting that, the kind of sunlight that would heat a microclimate of any kind, whether that's mm -hmm. a greenhouse or just a little dome or even a little cloche or what, yeah. you know, a cloche is like a little bell type shape thing. Um, but so do I garden all year round? Yeah. So I, I picked my last parsnips uh, just a few weeks ago. I think I even made a video of it. And I picked my last carrots just a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. now, we do that they're, here. They're, not, they're not growing through that period, though. They're just no. stored. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So they were in the ground and they're underneath a little plastic dome or, you know, polyethylene dome. But they're not growing. They're just not freezing. Yeah. Sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've done experiments here where I keep uh, kale in the ground and mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. It, it really doesn't grow in the winter here. It just hangs on right it, mm -hmm. if you affect some i'm sure if you put enough time and energy into creating an extremely well insulated you know uh but the, we don't get the hours of daylight it's just, and, and we don't get sun even if the sun you might have like you know sunrise to sunset might be nine hours a day you're going to get so little decent sun during that time on a 
so many days. They might have one sunny day a week and the rest of the days are so cold that even mm-hmm. though, you know, it's so, uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm out in my garden all year round, but in terms of extending the season, uh, I, I'll tell you, I, I can't stand transplants, starting them, growing them and so on. <laughs> I got now every year I mess around with it. So I got a, a handful of tomato plants in a window upstairs. I planted them, I don't know, maybe 10 days ago. One of them is growing, the rest of them aren't. Uh, <laughs> I did an experiment this year because I read somewhere that putting cinnamon on the soil will keep it from getting moldy. That doesn't work. Uh, no. the ones, Hydrogen them, peroxide. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try that next. Cause, yeah, Three of the ones with cinnamon have mold on them. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I... Maybe I you said, started with moldy cinnamon. <laughs> maybe I started with moldy cinnamon or moldy soil, right? Um, so I just thought... I can't stand doing transplants because uh, you put all this time and energy. I've tried a thousand different ways to grow them. And I'm not saying it can't be done because people do it, but you have to really be uh, focused. Once you grow the transplant, then you have to harden it off. And then you can't put it in the ground too early because if the ground isn't warm enough, the roots will be shocked by it. And you could even mm-hmm. like you stunt or harm or even kill a plant with the soil, even if the the temperature is warm enough and you're past the last frost date. If the soil's still too cold, you could really harm a plant by planting it. And I just decided I, I want to just direct seed everything. And I'm living in a place where people live and die by their transplants. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, well, how can I direct to seed everything? Well, if I put a little, you know, microclimate over, uh, you know, whatever it is, a dome, I have little sort of boxes. I've got all kinds of different, even I use what I call plastic squares. It's just a, a wooden frame about uh, four by four with a piece of um, polyethylene over it. And you just put that on the, you know, see-through, uh, just put that over the soil. And uh, it, it, it allows all of the sun's heat to affect the soil, but the, it doesn't dissipate. You're, you're creating a, a tiny layer of uh, yeah. ambient air over it, right? Um, so I start everything the last uh, middle of March, generally speaking, is when I start sowing seeds in my garden, not everything, right? But like the toughest, most invincible things, which for me is lettuce, spinach, and uh, yeah. this, this year I'm trying. Yeah. I'm going to just hold on a second because we're going to stop for a little break and oh. Ian's going to tell us a few 10 neat things. Okay. Herbs. Botanically, most of the plants in a flower bed are herbs. Traditionally, it simply refers to a non-woody plant. In common parlance, though, we tend to use herb to refer only to plants grown for culinary or medicinal purposes, like basil. Did you know that square stems is one of the defining characteristics of basil? And it's fortunate for botanists that the plant is such an easily identifiable characteristic. Basil is notoriously promiscuous, crossing with other plants quite freely, resulting in leaves that can be smooth, shiny, curled and even hairy. Here are a couple of don'ts for herbs. Don't let them flower. Flowering of herbs is known as bolting. Once a herb is bolted it becomes bitter and more tough. When you want fresh herbs for cooking get them while they're young. Pinch out the flowers when you see them starting. It will encourage more side shoots and a bushier plant. Don't overfeed them. Heavily fed herbs will develop lush foliage, which is attractive, but at the expense of concentrated essential oils. For the most flavorful herbs, stick to poor soil. All right, we're back, and Greg is just about to tell us more about his. Essentially, it's a cold frame, isn't it? Well, I would call it various forms of portable microclimates. So when I first established my garden, I read about cold frames, which are in one place, they're static, right? You build the cold frame and that's where your cold frame is. And then whatever <laughs> you're growing in your cold frame, you either got to pull it out, move it somewhere else or, or let it grow there. And if I, I evolved from the cold frame, which I didn't like because you can't really do crop rotations. I mean, remember with vegetables, there's a, pretty substantial argument for the for the practice of rotating crops if you plant the same thing in the same place year after year after year um you you run the risk of depleting that soil in some way in terms of nutrients but also inviting in Mm -hmm. very uh crop specific pests to that place 
uh, lay their eggs there that fall. And then, you know, you could get into problems. So I thought, instead of doing that, why don't I just have little, either it could just be like an old window you lay on the ground. It mm-hmm. could be a, a dome that's oh, know, just directly of, on the ground. Yeah. So some of my domes are, <clears> let's <throat> say, uh, four by eight and a, a foot high at the peak. Mm-hmm. Some of them are just just glass windows that I just stick on the ground. Um, let's say I wanted to plant some spinach in a section of my garden. Mm-hmm. You put a window down a week before you want to plant the spinach, let that warm the soil, right? And then you plant the seeds. And as soon as the as soon as the the, the seedlings are touching the glass, you take it off. And for oh. a spinach, mm-hmm. spinach is so tough, it can freeze and thaw out overnight and get, keep going, right? Mm-hmm. So it really depends on the plant, but I, so I would say I use a variety. Do you of, use a uh, black plastic or, cause I've no, seen that done. No, <clears throat> why? no okay, you can't see it. You need the light to get through the warm up the soil. Right. So you're trying to get a seed to germinate. Yeah. If, if your black plaque, the black plastic attracts heat to itself. And to some extent, the black plastic will through conduction, it will conduct heat to the soil. There might be a degree of convection heat going yeah. to the soil. When you have clear plastic, the sun is shining on your soil, which is dark. Mm, yeah. Remember, your soil is dark, yeah, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Sun's shining on your soil. So all of that incredible energy from the sun, when you think about the, you know, think about the difference between a light bulb and the sun, all that radiation is bombarding your soil yeah. and heating it up. So I've I've played around I've, and I found that you can you can get a lot more heat in your soil by just using clear plastic and letting the sun shine mm. on the soil. But also, when you're trying to get seeds to germinate, once they poke poke up, uh, poke up through the soil, you want them to see sun. You don't mm-hmm. want them to be in darkness. Yeah. They won't right right. So no, another advantage of doing it that way is that your 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 seedlings, you don't have the problem with uh, a, a transplant where you have to harden it off. They're getting full full sun from day one. I think I might even have a video with that name, full sun from day one, so that you don't have to harden them off. They're getting full sun, right? Mm -hmm. From the moment they emerge from the soil, they get all that advantage, all of that energy, right? Their roots are going into the real ground. Um, Another advantage is you think about a transplant, you're growing it indoors, 20 Celsius, they've been in 20 Celsius, 24 hours a day, no wind, no extremes, no up, no down, no this, no that, right? Just no cold rain, no nothing, right? As opposed to having something, even when you've got it under the protected environment of a dome, uh, where I live, it's still getting below zero at night here. Mm-hmm. So uh, what works I'm, better, <clears throat> glass or plastic? Glass is better, but it's it's um, it's harder to come by. It costs yeah. more, it's heavier. Right? Mm-hmm. I got some of these like wooden boxes, uh, so... For things that I can move, so some plants hate being transplanted, like lettuce and spinach is a good example. Lettuce doesn't mind being transplanted at all. You can pluck a lettuce plant up and move it somewhere. You pluck up a spinach plant and move it somewhere. I, I'll, lay, I'll, I'll lay you nine to one odds that that spinach plant is going to bolt. Spinach mm-hmm. hates being moved, right? <laughs> um, so uh, depending on what you're growing, if it's a, you know, like, like right over my garden right now, I'll plant something like... Um, broccoli and I'll plant it just under a, a three by three box with plastic on top. When I initially made those boxes, I had old windows that I get out of someone's trash on the top. Well, they weigh like 50 pounds, right? Cause it's glass, right? They're heavy. Um, so I found myself taking the windows off and just putting six mil poly over them that you can get, you get a big roll of it at a hardware store. Cause it just weighs less. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I'm not, I'm not even sure. I'm certain the glass is more insulative. Uh, you know, it's clearer. It's, I think the glass does a better job, but it's, it's more convenient. It's cheaper, easier, yeah. more convenient, easier on the back, all that sort of stuff to use plastic, you know, like wood mm-hmm. you know, wood. The, the, the most the thing has to be heavy enough that it doesn't blow away because it's insanely windy here too. It can get up to like, I don't know, a hundred kilometers an hour. So we get hurricane force winds here sometimes. Um, but so yeah, you use all this to use whatever you can get and, you know, use if, yeah, if you, if you see a window in someone's trash and you want to save a few bucks, use that, but I wouldn't go out and buy it. Absolutely so not. that's, so you preheat the soil and you start your seeds in preheated soil. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some, you know, if, if that's in the, in the event that the soil is frozen, right? Like a few weeks ago in March, I was planting some spinach. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I had to put domes over the soil because it was ice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here we don't, it's, it's a weird climate here. We don't have a, like a layer of snow that just accumulates over the course of the winter and then re- reduces over the course of the spring. Uh, we will have uh, a week here in Nova Scotia in the dead of winter, like let's say end of January, where it warms up to plus mm-hmm. eight and rains for three days and all the snow disappears. Yeah. And then it'll drop down to minus 15, minus 20 Celsius. And the soil just turns to ice and then it'll snow on top of that icy, icy soil and so on and so forth. So uh, oftentimes when I'm planting my spinach, I'm putting a thing over to make the soil thawed. Maybe the first three inches of the soil thaws, I'm planting spinach, but it's ice from, you know, if you go down three inches, it's ice all the way down for another really? foot. Well, why, just, would you, why would you plant your spinach in that then, though? Because the soil's got, because I'm putting a, putting it in a microclimate, the soil is going to continue to thaw. It's going to continue mm-hmm. to thaw all the way down. And the spinach doesn't mind. It's going to take a week. Okay. Just It's going to take a week to germinate anyway. So during that week after I've put the seed in, it's going to get another inch and another inch. And a, right. So that the thawing of the soil, and I'm, again, I'm doing this in March. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things generally speaking start, unless it's a, the worst year ever, um, tend to thaw, start thawing out here in April, right? So mm-hmm. I, I know that's going to happen. So I'm just getting a bit ahead of schedule, right? Okay. Um, so it's just to get the spinach, and I don't plant all my spinach at that point. I mean, it's just to get something started early, right? And it can work for any, any anything you want to plant. You can plant it a little bit earlier under a microclimate. I think mm-hmm. the rule of thumb is that you can you can break your, whatever your rules are for where you live, you can break those rules for by about a month, right? You can oh, move, yeah. move things about a month ahead. Or so what do you do with something way. like tomatoes? Do you, do you plant your tomatoes in pots? No, I, I plant them directly in the ground outdoors. So um, how do you keep them warm? It's the same sort of method? Because they, they, need, they need a certain amount of heat to they need just to germinate. So to be quite yeah. warm, right? I do, this, do the same we, damn thing. <laughs> we've got a guy out here called Mr. Tomato, who, by the way, he discovered seaweed and he made a whole business out of it, made himself a fortune selling seaweed to the garden centers and all over North America. He called it sea magic. <laughs> you guys were already using it. Right? I'm, I'm using his supplier in Nova Scotia now. To, we give seaweed away to people but uh, who, who subscribe to the magazine. So there you are, right. folks. If you want to buy the magazine, maybe you can get some free seaweed from there it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> a little free ad in there. Maybe I but should buy one. He had something. He had another product called Cozy Coats. And it was a, a plastic close right well it was sort of a round thing that when you filled with water to keep the you know to create a microclimate oh. for early starting have you tried that oh i've seen them though i imagine they work really well um, yeah, yeah yeah no no one's offered to give me some for free so I don't <laughs> well brian sold a business so i'm not sure he has it anymore but... <laughs> yeah, okay yeah i could see that you know it would it would be insulative uh yeah you know, so i could see it totally working i mean it wouldn't last forever uh you would run the risk where i live um even till like right up until the um, beginning of June. And sometimes even in the first week of June, I have a goldfish pond in my backyard. I get ice on the pond at night, right up until first week of June, despite being in zone six a right. Just because it's just so, so strange here. Right. It really depends on if the, if the weather's coming off of coming out of the North and off the landmass, right? It'll be unseasonally mm-hmm. cold. And if the weather's coming off the ocean, it'll be un- generally, sp- when you're still in the cold part of the year, it'll be unseasonably uh, warm. In yeah. the dead of, in the summer, it's the opposite. If the weather's coming off the ocean, it get, get cools right down, right? And if the weather's coming off the land, it gets like crazy warm. So it's, uh, but it's zone six a wow, I didn't know it was that. It just doesn't get that cold. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's why. Uh, that's you know, like the those Canadian- great big trees. The Canadian zone has to do with um, it has to do with a lot of things, but the fact that it doesn't how what's the coldest it'll get there usually? Oh, like minus uh, in the low twenties, you know, negative minus twenty. Yeah, oh, you can get minus twenty, maybe minus twenty five or something like yeah. that. But that would be like a you know really uh, the the coldest. Uh, this this winter was exceptionally mild, mm-hmm. but I mean it's important to note that. Your zone has nothing to do about your growing conditions. No. Your growing your growing conditions are about like my mother lived in Alberta, Edmonton, Alberta, zone three mm-hmm. A, right? And her tomatoes would always be ripe before mine. And I'm in zone six A. They need and heat. it's because they get sun every damn day, all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost 24 hours a day of sun, right? So they just get so much good sun, right? Where, That's the advantage uh, of being here in Manitoba, too. That's the advantage. And you know, um, the other, the disadvantage slightly, though, is that the sun, the tomatoes will get sunscald. 
Really? Well, they will if it's yeah. too direct. Yeah. <clears throat> they like a little bit of a little bit of shade. So you know, there's a little good with and a little bad with every condition in Canada yes. that you can come across, Absolutely. except in Vancouver. <laughs> or Victoria. Yeah, they seem to have it all. <laughs> right. It's the most expensive place to live. <laughs> I was reading that you're really into permaculture. Was that just about the potatoes or or do you do everything, uh, you know, without having to till the garden? Everything. I um, Back in, uh, I bought this house in 2011. We had another house. I moved from a different part of the province. I had a garden, you know, a sizable garden in my old house. Um, when I bought this house, I had a bigger property. So, you know, garden always gets bigger every single year. And there was one winter where I was just like looking for stuff to watch on YouTube. And I just came across this, this uh, video of a guy talking about permaculture. And then I, mm -hmm. it, that guy was compelling the argument he made, right? He said, look at the forest. It grows. No one waters it. No one fertilizes yeah. it. No one tells it. Um, everything's happening just fine there. And uh, there, there are ways you can copy the way that works in a garden and you can have a very low maintenance garden and a high productivity garden, um, just copying the way a, a natural system works, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I was compelled by that. So I just started reading uh, literature on that. So I, I read all the, the master works, Sepp Holzer, um, what's his name, Dave Holmgren and um, the actual book, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of like the, yeah, the most recognizable name in permaculture <laughs> who wrote permaculture one, Bill Mollison, and Dave, <laughs> Bill Mollison, Dave Holmgren wrote permaculture one. I read uh, Ruth Stout, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of. Folklore Have you heard thing. of this Ruth Stout, mom? No. It's an amazing woman. Like she didn't call it permaculture at the time, but she was doing the mm -hmm. same thing. She's just, she was just copying the way natural systems work. Yeah. Right. Uh, the stuff grows and then it falls to the ground and it decomposes into the ground and then yeah. new stuff comes up. And I mean, the, the challenge for us as gardeners is we, we can't have everything just you know, over overwhelmed with weeds, but there's ways to adapt and make use of the way things happen in the natural world to make it a lot easier. I, I don't know how scalable it is for uh, agriculture. Um, but well, the they home. are doing that actually, Greg. Uh, yes. We talked to a gardener in Alberta last year, not a gardener, a farmer who says that they're, you know, drilling, um, drilling is killing. No, tilling is killing. And tilling is drilling killing, is, yes. the, is the way they go now. So they have the, they inject the seeds into the, into the ground that has, is covered with the detritus from uh, the detritus from every, you know, from yep. the previous year. And I'm doing that in my, on my lawn. I mulch the leaves because the trees you know, obviously wanted that nutrition back. You and leave the same mulched thing in my leaves garden. on the lawn? Yeah. Yeah. I just make sure they're well, you know, I mean, I, I cut them up with my lawnmower. Yeah, run over with the mower. Yeah, exactly. The same thing with the garden itself. Dad used to do that, Shauna. He would take the spring and instead of going in and cutting up all that, those stalks and all that back mm -hmm. backbreaking work, he would simply go over it with a lawnmower and then the stuff would disappear <laughs> in a couple of days. It was yeah, great. That's, that's kind of the same. So that's that's the, the same, same idea. idea. And, yeah. Yeah. So and it's ideal for the home gardener because you throw all that. So every fall. I mean, this is the, the main way I, I employ permaculture. The main way I employ permaculture in my garden is that just like in a natural system, the soil is never exposed. It's always covered with something. I might move a little mulch back to get seedlings yeah. started. Because you, you know, yeah, I was going to ask you about something like as fine as carrots. How would you deal yeah. with that? So for um, it really depends on what you're trying to grow and how well it can get up through that stuff. So some things can get up through it. Like a potato yeah. can get through a foot of hay, no problem. Uh, asparagus can get through. So some things can just get up through. Other things are smothered by it, just like a lot of your, you know, the reason uh, the keeping everything. Seeds, yeah. yeah, like a lot of your traditional weeds really can't contend with the mulch. Some of them can, but a lot of things can't contend with the mulch. And just like some of those weeds, things like a carrot can't do it. Um, I found like uh, if you... If I put like an inch of uh, seaweed, uh, parsnips can get up through it. Yeah, I've even planted parsnip seeds in the fall and had them come up in the spring through the mulch. So some things are kind of uh, like I've got a, a entire garden full of uh, uh, Egyptian walking onions, and I mulched that last fall. Those and they're are all coming, they're all finding their way up through it. But yeah, something like a carrot uh, or you know whatever something really fine like that, you just move the mulch aside. You make a row about two inches wide. Yeah. 
expose the soil. You want the soil exposed anyway, because it's dark, it's going to attract heat to itself, right? Mm -hmm. You just get your seeds in there. And then once the plant's about six inches high, it's got a reasonably, um, not a tender stock, but a, a sort of more yeah. um, you know, woody sort of, then you move the mulch back. And then you stop watering and weeding your garden all summer long. I don't water my garden in July. I don't water it in August. I don't, you know, it, it would take an extraordinary event, like a, you know, weeks and weeks mm -hmm. and weeks and weeks of the rain. And, and even then, like if we're, let's say we've gone three weeks without rain, I'm looking at the plants. If I come out in the morning and they're back up, I don't water it. If I come out in the morning and they look like, oh God, I don't know if we can do it today. Then I'll water, but that's, <laughs> I don't have to do wow. there's certain, There are years where I don't have to do that. Now, remember, I'm in Nova Scotia and we get rain here, mm -hmm. right? Well, that's um, a question, though. I mean, when you get hold that. On, hold on, hold on. Everybody has a question, but we really have to take <laughs> She's a break. the boss. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. Breaking news. Canada's local gardener has a new subscriber in Mr. McGregor's great-grandson. Do you remember The Tales of Woe is written by Beatrix Potter? How Mr. McGregor had a nemesis in Peter Rabbit, who was always running amok in the vegetable patch? Asked why he was subscribing to Canada's Local Gardener, Mr. McGregor replied, The magazine is packed full of amazing information and has talented writers. The pictures are vibrant and colorful. There is nothing I like more than sitting in my garden and reading Canada's Local Gardener. So, to anyone listening, go to localgardener.net and subscribe today. you were going to uh you had a question before we went to the break i do it's a burning question <laughs> okay. it, has, <laughs> it has to do with all that mulch and, and a lot of rain do you not have trouble with the rain do you not get soggy soil um you know cutting out the oxygen or something mm -hmm. like that under the mulch when it rains day after day after day not where i am and i mean it's a rainy place where i am it's especially this time of year i mean it rains all the time i was supposed to go away fishing last week and i had to cancel the whole thing because it rained for about <laughs> seven days in a row um i thought i was almost started building an ark uh in the backyard <laughs> we haven't had um, rain yet yet so i'm waiting so in my backyard i mean so i'm i'm two kilometers from the ocean uh, i'm in nova in a peninsula on the north atlantic and the majority of the soil here is clay, it's clay and rocks. My backyard, when I built this thing, it was a weed field growing out of clay and rocks. With a, really? Yeah. Um, and clay holds on to water, right? Mm -hmm. uh, now, mind you, uh, all my beds are raised a little bit. Some of them are at grade. That's not entirely true. But most, most of my beds might be two inches above grade, just that. I find the higher up you go, you, you start paying a price as the plants can't get to the water that's in the ground. Um, but yeah, I don't find there being any, I mean, you've got fungi and stuff like that or fungi, but that's all the stuff you want there. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I, no, the I've only thing that we run into is, is soil compaction. The soil gets really soggy and then I mean, there's no oxygen. So then the plants will die. Ah, so that's an go. issue. When you keep everything mulched, soil compaction stops <laughs> being a problem. Okay. So I'm going to explain why. Yeah, so, I get it. Go ahead. When you've got bare soil. Okay. Every raindrop is a tiny jackhammer pounding on the ground, right? In the winter, you've got the weight of the snow bearing down on the soil. Uh, when you've got mulch on your soil, you've got a little bed mattress, springy thing, right? Uh, so the rain, the, the, the energy of the rain, when it hits the, the, uh, the, the mulch layer, it's not compacting your soil. It's just, just getting absorbed, sucked yeah. into that. It's never dry. And that's the other thing. When you don't have a mulch, you got rain compacting the soil and then sun drying it out. So, so you've basically got like a cement yeah, factory yeah. going there, right? Yeah. When you've got the mulch, it doesn't dry out or it takes a very, very, very long time for the soil to dry out. And the rain isn't hitting it with the same amount of force. And because you've got a mulch, and remember, you're not tilling this every year, you're just leaving it alone. You've got all of these different organisms moving around in the soil, creating tunnels, creating little, you know, little... You know, there, yeah. everything, there's all these things moving around and they're making spaces and air in the soil. And you've got the plants you grew the previous year. Sometimes you pull the plants out of the ground, but sometimes you just cut them off. Mm -hmm. So they leave the roots in the ground and that's, that's leaving spaces. You know, the roots yeah. break down and decompose it. So the soil gets it. I haven't tilled my garden ever. And what about slugs? 
you get a lot of slugs and snails. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's an excellent question. So yeah, you're keeping everything mulched all the time. So you're creating the ideal conditions for slugs and snails. You're creating mm -hmm. a slug and snail heaven. They got all these great places to hide from their predators, right? Because and, and there's all this decaying organic matter, which they love. Not only do they like hiding under your mulch, they like the mulch. They eat it just as much as the worms do. Um, so you do have the risk. And there's if you're planting anything that they really like, um, especially when those plants are young, they're exceptionally vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, so you, uh, like for kale, uh, every brassica in the world, every brassica there is, kale, cabbage, collard greens, you name it, right? Um, I have slugs and snails everywhere. Now, every single year I get more and more birds showing up in the spring to sort and look for them, right? But they don't do everything. So when I plant a row of kale, I put a little bit of a, uh, I use the kind of slug bait that the, the active ingredients iron. The slug mm -hmm. eats it. It just gets overdosed with iron and it dies. Um, it doesn't eliminate slugs from the area. It's just managing. It's barrier. It protects yeah. the plants that need protecting. Temporarily. Once the plant's about six inches high, I find they really don't uh, do any damage to them. Also, this, the slugs are, think about a slug's mentality. <laughs> really? Oxymoron. <laughs> it, can, it can eat the foliage of the, the kale plant. But it can also eat the rotting mulch, right? The rotting mulch is just like yard waste yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And which carries a higher risk, right? Once they climb up into that kale plant, there the birds are there, you know, nailing oh, them, right? Okay, that's interesting. They're, and they're they're averse to light, so they might attack your kale at, at night, but not during the day. So once the kale are a certain size, I I, still, I don't use anything, right? I just leave them alone. And there's a little bit of slug damage here and there, but it's really not. I mean, it would be a problem if you were a commercial grower because everything has to look perfect, right? But there's mm -hmm. a tiny bit of uh, damage, but not a lot, especially if you keep them spaced out really well. The slugs, only the most intrepid slugs. <laughs> also, once <laughs> and they those, deserve it. <laughs> once, this, once the kale plant gets, like using kale as an example, once it gets a certain size, the stem is tree-like. It's really yeah. hard and woody sort of thing. So a slug, remember, the slug's just feeling its way along the ground. It's going to go for anything it feels tender that smells right. When it, when it comes across that that uh, kale stem, it's it's just going to keep moving for something better because it's not what it's looking for. So when you don't use good, you don't waste good beer on the slugs. I take it on the scale I'm gardening at, I couldn't. I mean, I'd have to have about 50, 50 slug traps, right? I, um, I just need to point out that slugs actually prefer cheaper beer. Oh, they do. <laughs> they <laughs> yes, they prefer Pabst Blue Ribbon. Oh, is that Absolute right? Ribbon. Yes, this was a study from years ago. Uh, and, and I think it has to do with that. It, it's based on rice, Pabst Blue Ribbon, the way they make it. And that's what slugs prefer. Well, there you well, go. Well, I'm not feeding well, that to my slugs. The but other what thing about, about, I was going to ask you about point. the mulch. Okay, go ahead. The, one more point. <laughs> the other thing about the mulch and the slugs and the snails is that you want them there. They are turning your mulch into slug and snail poop. And that slug and snail yeah. poop is manure, and it's better than any manure you can buy. I mean, mm -hmm. it's 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 just it's equivalent to worm castings in terms of from your plant's point of view, right? So the fact that you have a large population of slugs and snails, it's 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 a problem you have to manage when your plants are young. There's a lot of plants that are snug and slug and snail proof. I, I find they never okay. bother my spinach, never bother mm -hmm. my lettuce, and not in any meaningful way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's brassicas and a handful of other things when they're really young. Mm -hmm. uh, other than that, you know, a lot of plants like a squash or something like that, when it's really tiny, it's vulnerable. Once the second and third set of leaves come out, it becomes all spiny and they don't go near it. Well, Sounds I wish they'd leave my hostas alone. I'll have to train them to go only, only go after them when they're young or something like that. But what about the mulch? I mean, it is breaking down all the time. Do you replenish it with anything or is it just the depth, you know, the, the, the waste from the previous year? Oh, you're... Your questions are like the perfect segue to the next thing I want to, every single question you have is the next thing I want to talk about. There we go. So, so um, every fall, I drive, I work in the city. I have to drive into town every, every day. And uh, instead of going down like the main highways, I tend to take the side streets to get around stuff. And uh, in the fall, uh, all the people in the city bag up their leaves and their yard waste and they put it in these mm -hmm. big paper bags and leave it at the end of the driveway. So, uh -huh. uh, so people in Halifax see this guy in dress clothes, <laughs> competitive his uh, little uh, Kia Forte and put it in his trunk. 
Um, <laughs> sometimes they even put it in the back seat, right? Oh, so no, you're kind these... of garbage man. <laughs> exactly. What's this, guy garbage man. Yeah. this guy's lost his mind. Um, so I'll just get every trip when I see these, I have a certain routes I take, right? Because oh, this the street's really good for stuff like this, right? <laughs> uh, the streets, I even have particular people I know they like some of them, they um, some people rake their leaves, but the best people, the most, uh, you know, the most courteous people, they mow their leaves. And it's all bagged. And then rake them, yeah. Oh, <laughs> or so put them in got, the bag, yeah. It's got, it Literally, it's got leaves and grass in it. So it's got like a carbon-nitrogen mix. It's like the greatest stuff, right? Um, also, like large leaves, when you mulch with them, they tend to blow away. So you want yeah. – the mower tends to make it all clumped together, right? Um, so I, I gather bag after bag after bag of that all fall. And every single bed, as it finishes up, I'll cover a four by eight bed, might get one or two bags like that. So at least three inches of uh, mulch over everything. And I do that every fall. And then uh, when the spring rolls around, uh, for the most part, most of, that, most of that mulch is still there because it really doesn't break down that much over the winter. It's, yeah. it's you know, it does a little bit of decomposing in October, November, mm-hmm. but it's just getting colder and colder every day. Everything shuts down. Um, so I still got a, a good amount of that. Luckily for me, around this time of year, everybody gets out and starts raking what they, there's people that didn't rake their leaves in the fall. Like, it's cause I need about, I could use about five more bags right now. Someone's going to provide that for me. It's going to happen. If it doesn't happen, I'll just mow my lawn and take my stuff off. Right. I've got a septic <laughs> field back here. I always say to the kids, uh, you know, I normally use a mulching blade on my mower, but we have a, a septic field and we live in a rural area. We have a septic field and I never worry about the septic field having enough nitrogen. So I'll put the bag on and take the, take the grass from the septic field. The grass always grows great there. And so uh, I'll tell the kids like we, we mow the grass from the, our poop goes in the septic field and I take the grass and put it in the garden and that makes a beat. And we're eating our own poop. <laughs> Remember that story when you were little, Sean, and I told you when people die, the cows come and eat them. They, they turn into a daisy and the cows come and eat them. So there you go. <laughs> it's the same story. But yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's, that's the cycle of it. I, 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 I don't generate enough on my property here for the size of garden. I've got about 54, the equivalent of 54 by eight beds back there. Right? Yeah. So I was going mind. to ask you how big your garden is. What yeah. do you do with all that produce? I eat it all. You um, do? How, all how, much, how much would you say your grocery bill is reduced per year? Or I, yeah. I don't so, know if you've always done it. Maybe you have no idea. No, so I even did a podcast called "The Economic Impact of Gardening," and I tried to I just vaguely estimated it right. So I would say if he average it over the year, um, our grocery bills reduced by, you know, maybe certainly in the summer it's reduced by probably because we eat a lot of vegetables. Mm-hmm. In the summer, it's reduced by forty dollars a week at least. Wow, mm-hmm. um, maybe even more. I mean, I tend to undervalue things, right? Because I have so. When I have my garden, uh, I grow like so 250 heads of garlic and it, it lasts us till maybe March, right? Uh, wow. And we eat, garlic, we eat a couple heads of garlic every single week, right? So we 250 heads of garlic, organic, big, fat, beautiful, organic garlic would cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I, I grow so much kale that we, we eat kale two, three times a week. And I mean a big pile of it, like a, a mess of like a mess of greens sort of thing, right? Do you cook them um, or do you eat them raw, like in a salad? I cook them. Yeah, do you? Uh, I like you, them raw. You, you can get more into you if you cook them because <laughs> they compress, right? Well, you look very um, healthy. Yeah, well, we put like uh, garlic and things like that in them, but yeah, so we eat a lot, like a ridiculous amount of kale, and we I start pulling it out of the garden in maybe July. Uh, but we're eating it until March. It runs out in March. I just, I just take a, I'll take a bowl about this big of kale and uh, blanch it very quickly. And, and it'll turn into a cake about like a one pound cake of kale and put that in the freezer. And we just take those out and we have maybe two of those a week off and the carrots. I'm still eating last year's potatoes. Uh, <laughs> I still have a, you know, I got a lot of preserves as well, but most of the things I grow, I try to, uh, I find preserves are labor intensive, right? Um, so I like to grow things that you can just stick somewhere and eat later. So I, I like actually have freezing them, freezing, but also just things that store well, like potatoes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I would Vegetables. say maybe a 2,500 square foot garden, but if maybe a quarter of that's potatoes, maybe one fifth, mm-hmm. right? 
uh, I devote a good amount of real estate to squash because squash, you literally cut it off and stick it on a shelf. Uh, I got one squash. The variety is called Sweet Mama. We ate, we, I, just uh, last Sunday, I realized I'd forgotten that I had two of them in the garage. So we ate one of them last week, tasted great. I got one more to eat, right? It's it's April and I'm eating squash that I picked in September. So what do you do between April and June? We buy stuff. (laughs) Do you grow fruit as well? Apples and pears? Yeah, I've got an apple tree. Uh, This year I'm putting in a pear tree. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm a bit, uh, I don't know what the, the proper word is. Uh, hesitant to to go to go too overboard with the fruit trees because we're not going to live here forever. I think somewhere in roughly ten years we're going to move. My wife wants to live uh, in another part of the province when we retire. You're going to get a condo? <laughs> oh no, no, we're going to. No, uh, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hell no, <laughs> no way. Um, so you know, I like guess one of the conditions that there has to be a place big enough for me to have a substantial garden because otherwise, mm-hmm. how am I going to keep from going crazy? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's what I like to do. And also, I've just you know got a YouTube channel, that sort of stuff. But what um, do you do in your on non gardening life? I'm an uh, avid angler. I'm a tinkerer um i'm trying to write a book uh, you have a job though too right (laughs) i have a full-time job that's what i'm I'm wondering yeah how can you have a full-time job with all that gardening going on uh i I don't sleep a lot i guess (laughs) Uh, i'm what uh what's uh work for the provincial government as uh, in a in a a role which would be entitled a senior policy analyst oh that's right i write document i I write documents to the minister saying, I think we should do this and this is why, and this is how much it'll cost sort of okay. thing. So, uh, so yeah, sort of professional analyst and writer, I guess, uh, in my regular, in my day-to-day life when I'm not, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, and I know why you on. can do that because when you're in the garden, your mind just sort of like everything happens and things sort of sort themselves out and you come in and you write and it's just great. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, and it, the garden provides a, a fantastic um, contrast to that world. It does. Right? It really does. I'm in a cubicle all day writing documents, you know, yeah. uh, and then I'm out there and the birds are singing and there's things whizzing around the sun's there and it's just, that's, know, and then it. that's where you feel alive. It's nothing like wow. it. Nothing like being in a garden. Absolutely. Okay. This has been a, a great talk. Uh, we only talked a little bit about extending the garden season, but no, that's okay. Not. We learned so much. <laughs> I didn't get the second or the third break in. That's notes. also okay. <laughs> and uh, I want to thank you so much. We'll have to have you back and talk more yeah. about whatever it is we talk about. Okay. Uh, I want to thank you, Mum, you, Greg, and I also want to thank the Government of Canada for giving us the funding to make this possible. Thank you so much, Greg. And thank you, Shauna. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys.